Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network and Realm of the Mist Entertainment. I'm your host, Don Smith. This episode, we learn a little about the intriguing story of Lisa Bagby, author of the soon-to-be-released I Am That Girl. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 1069 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter, or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM, or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. All right. Hey, welcome to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are, uh, I guess, winding down uh, at least this chapter of COVID 19 lockdown. We, you know, might get put back on it later, but for now, we're, we're getting through this, sort of. Uh, eventually we're going to be back live in the studio, but for now still recording at home in my pajamas. And, uh, we are joined on zoom this morning by, uh, Lisa Bagby. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. So, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. You are an author, correct? I am in the process of my first book. Yes. Okay. Okay. That still counts. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a widow of two years now. I live on a small farm in Oregon, about 30 acres. I have a lot of small animals. My two children are grown, and I'm kind of reinventing myself after my husband's death. Sometimes you have to do that, reinvent yourself. So uh, you're working on your first book. Uh, What is this book about? This book Without giving too much away, of course. Oh, of course. Um, I could never give too much away. There's so much huh. entailed. <laughs> it's about um, finding a dead body on my property. Oh, okay. Is this something that happened or is this? <laughs> I know it doesn't happen to many. It is based on a true story. Um, this hmm. is actually something that happened. It, um, was devastating it changed my life I learned what it was like to be bullied and harassed and um, false reports and have your name run through the mud I've always lived a fairy tale life with my husband I'm an EMT I'm a law-abiding citizen Um, I've always worked hard my whole entire life and this basically destroyed my life Wow so yeah that you were, I, I take it, you were a suspect in this because of where it was found. Is that what I'm... I was never, as far as I know, I was never considered a suspect. Oh. I was told that as a witness. I was okay. never taken for questioning. I was never arrested. It was very apparent from um, what we found on his phone um, of what he possibly had done and why. I did not know anything about his past um, I dated this man for two and a half months, oh. um, a year and a half, a year and a half after my husband's death. I was waiting for the perfect guy. I didn't date. I didn't go to bars. I didn't have friends. I just lived on my mountain. Um, so I was introduced to this man by an 
75, 80 year old woman, there was a, a mutual friend between us who was an old rancher lady and he worked on her ranch um, for a while and then he started driving a train. Hmm. That's wow. That's, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah, that, that I, I would imagine. Yeah. This, as much as it caught me by surprise, I can't even imagine how much it caught you by surprise. Exactly. So I'm not sure where to go from there. Cause that, yeah, that just totally uh, threw me off. So what was, what was, what was the cause? I mean, it, it Again, I don't want to give too much away that's in your book based on this, but I'm just now I'm very curious what the story is behind it. Well, I, I don't want to go into full de detail about that because that's something right. that hasn't been um, in the news or in the newspapers. It hasn't been published. The only per people that there's very few people that know about his past. And I didn't write the book to dirty his name. I wasn't even thinking about writing a book, but when these false reports were published in my hometown saying that this man was buried on my property and that I was a murderer and a whore mm. and a scarlet. Um, and it ruined my life. I, yeah. I contemplated suicide. Um, I was devastated. I laid in bed. I didn't know what to do. And then one day I got up and I said, you know, I, I have my whole life in front of me my new life and I have to take this back. I have to um, tell my side of the story. I never felt the need to defend myself, but I never felt the need to tell my side of the story either. It was no one's business, but this was absolutely ruining my life. It was time for me to get up. And when I started writing, it was like therapy. Every page that I wrote, it was just my tears, my blood onto paper. And sometimes I just couldn't stop writing because it was so therapeutic and, um, I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds like a lot that needed to get out. Yes. And you know, I'm, my husband passed away. He was my best friend on March 2nd, 2018. He died suddenly from pancreatic cancer. He was very healthy. I'm very healthy. He was my best friend. We did everything together outside of work. And when I lost him, um, I was alone. I had to learn how to live solely by myself taking care of 30 acres and my animals and work and it was very difficult it took me a long time to be able just to handle that aspect I still missed him every day I still miss him every day and for this person to come into my life knowing what I went through and knowing how broken I was and then just to be so deceitful yeah. he knew how hurt I was and he was he was bad. And, you know, some days I try to hate him, but I can't. I just let it go. I give it to God. And I planted flowers where I found his body. Um, I go sit there sometimes. And I'm okay now. But I don't hate him. Yeah. Well, just, it's unfortunately, there are people out there that prey on people that are going through trouble already. Yeah, and I used to ask why all the time. What did he want from me? Why was I his target? He had money. He had a great job. He had tons of friends. He was married. I didn't know he was married. And I saw him maybe two days a week. And I just used to ask myself, what did he want from me? 
But then I just stopped asking that because I realized even if I knew the answer, I probably wouldn't be happy with it. So I'm not even going to ask it anymore. Yeah, that's the, that's because I mean, there really, there probably isn't a real answer other than something that's in his, that was in his, uh, that was more his issue than anyone else's. Uh, yes. Uh, and I did later find out from his brother, he did have, who I'd never met until after his disappearance. I've never met any of his family or his friends until after he disappeared. But his brother did say he had PTSD from childhood. Um, they had a rough childhood with his mom and dad. Um, and then he apparently had PTSD from driving a train because in his 14-year career of driving the train, he had hit seven people on the railroad tracks. And I remember when I first met him, he hit two teenage um, people on the tracks, and he was very upset about that. And I felt like together, us being broken and working things out and talking, I thought it was healing. I thought we had something special. I thought I found my um, one person. There was no red flags. There's nothing I could have done differently. Um, and that's why my book is called I Am That Girl, because it's time for me to stand up and say, yes, that was me. And it could be anyone. It could be your mother, your sister. Right. Your I mean, it could happen to anyone. There was no red flags. There's nothing I could have done differently. He drove a train. He had thorough background checks. Yeah. Well, it's, de it's definitely, it's a story that's important to get out there to help other people to, you know, cause I mean, it's a lot of people that go through these sorts of things, not exactly the same, of course, but uh, yeah, that's definitely something that needs to get out there to help people know that things they're going through other people go through it's a camaraderie thing i guess exactly hmm. and it's, so, it's oh sorry go ahead go ahead it's, it's important to know that um no matter what you're going through in life i mean if you're sad if you feel like your life is worth nothing to no one if you feel like um there is no way out there is no help you have to remember that, you know, you have the tools and the strength inside yourself. Just get up and fight. And then people, there will be people that help you reach out to someone. You're never alone. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so you, you live on 30 acres in the mountainside, right? Yes. So that's, yeah, that's gotta be a lot of work just by itself. <laughs> no. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, this was the first time I was ever truly alone in my whole life. You know, I lost my husband. My son turned 20 in November. He moved out because of all the harassing and bullying. He moved to the city with his sister. He couldn't take it anymore. He had to quit his job and quit college. Um, so, he had, was, so he was still living there at the time that this was found. This happened. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I was having threats from these Seattle railroad workers that were probably part of all this um, illegal activity that was going on that the sheriff's office and I found on his phone hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different things, crazy stuff, dirty stuff, nasty stuff. And I would get messages from these Seattle guys that said, there's 50 of us and only one of you. Mm -hmm. And it was true. I lived on a mountain by myself, no streetlights on a dead end road, no close neighbors. And I had I had nowhere to turn. I had no one to come and stay with me. My son was scared. He, I 
you know, took him to the city to live with his sister. I wanted him to be safe. It was a very hard time. I couldn't sleep at night. I was scared. Yeah, absolutely. I can see, I can see why that's, that's a messed up situation all around, but I mean, things, things have cleared up. Things are. Well, um, they basically wanted to silence me and they basically, um, I mean, they were on the Seattle news that he was coming down to break up with me and there was all these stories and I have all of his message. I have his, um, Marco Polo's from the day that he came to my house. There was, that is just not true. They told so many lies about me. And it was in the on the TV stations. It was in the newspapers. And none of the reporters contacted me. No one came to my house for an interview. I was glad at the time because I didn't want to talk to anyone. But no one, they just kept publishing these lies. And so basically I was silenced. I didn't know what to do for a long time. I just stayed on my mountain. I didn't go to town. Um, I was broken. I tried. I almost committed suicide. And then something amazing happened and I didn't and I was reborn and I, I realized I have a whole life in front of me. You know, they say time heals all wounds. They lied. Time gives you the strength and the tools to build, rebuild a new life. You can't ever rebuild the life you had, but you can build something better. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm in trying to empower people to realize when they have nothing left, when they've lost everything including their name and their reputation. There's still hope. Just get up and keep fighting and God will work a miracle and truth is power. Don't give up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm, well, I'm, I'm glad things are better. I'm, I'm definitely glad you, you've uh, turned a corner in there and are, are healing with everything that's happened. Thank you. And that, uh, when do you expect to be finished with the uh, with your book? Well, I was finished with it, but then I thought I could never come up. I could never end it, and never I could never come up with a great ending. I mean, really, there wasn't a great ending, but right. the ending just wasn't a good ending. And so it just came to me one day. I'm like that's because the story isn't about him. I'm not going to give the story to him. He was a very small part of my life, two and a half months of my life. I am not going to make this story about him. I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to put too much emphasis on him and what his deceitfulness and his unhonesty and that person that he was that I didn't know about. And a lot of people didn't know about that. I don't want to put the focus on that. I want to be the, I want to put the focus on, empowerment, um, owning your story and stand up and say, when people talk about you say, yes, I am that girl, but you don't know me. You don't know my story. So don't judge me. Right. Yeah. I I had seen in, in one of your messages, you sent that you had changed the title of the, of the book in order to do that, take the focus off of him and put it more on you. And that's, which is good because you're the one that needs to recover. You're the one that uh, all this seemed to have been against. And it's, it's, it's your story of overcoming that is what it sounds like. Exactly. And if I, I originally named the train 
named the book Waiting for the Train. And it was because it seemed like I was always waiting for his train to come in because I was so excited to see him because we had great adventures. We never had a bad time. Um, but then I realized well, I'm not going to wait for the train anymore. I'm not going to focus on waiting for the train. No, I'm letting that go. And I'm going to focus on I am that girl. Who is that girl? It could be anyone. And I'm going to empower women, people, anyone to get up, to fight back, take control, and don't be bullied. Don't be harassed. It's not okay. And if I can stand up and make a difference to one person, then I did something great. That's all I could ask for. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd ask advice as far as seeing signs ahead of time. But like you said, I mean, there was nothing that there were no signs at the time. There was absolutely nothing I could have done, done differently. Um, I think about that all the time. How can I prevent this from happening again? How can I trust? I mean, I trusted this guy completely. I, met, I introduced to him four months. It took him two months to convince me to date him. And then I dated him for two and a half months. So altogether, I knew him four and a half months. There was never a red flag. No one said he's married. No one, his friends, I was never introduced to his friends. I never asked to be introduced to his friends. He told me they were um, loud mouth, um, you know, train workers. And, you know, they were just rude and loud mouth. I, I don't have time for that. Right. And his parents, he would talk about them. But um, he said he had a bad childhood and he wasn't close to them. So, you know, I wasn't we had a good time together. I didn't need anything else. And apparently he didn't either. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so going forward, I mean, the, the plan, the plans with the book going forward, what plans do you have or just. Well, I'd like to, I'm finishing up the book. Um, hopefully it won't be too long. It's coming together nicely. And then I'm hoping that it, um, I can influence someone, maybe do some um, motivational speaking. Um, I'm taking some acting lessons because, you know, I, I live on a mountain. I'm pretty isolated. I'm not a public speaker. I'm not good at speaking. I'm, but I hope to be. I, there's a whole world out there, and I want to try everything. Well, that, yeah, that, that's a good way to look at it. And acting classes, is that something you've ever wanted to do before? Um, no, actually, I've never thought about it before. But when I started writing the book, I met a lot of amazing um, people, um, publishers, writers, actors, support people that have been supportive, very kind people. And um, I got offered by Barry Papik to do some acting lessons. And I, how could you say no? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I had my first one yesterday and it was incredible. He was so kind and it just was like second nature to me. It was amazing. Everything just clicked with me. Everything he talked about, everything he, um, my lesson, it was, it was so amazing and empowering. It made me feel so good. And that's what I need is just positive things in my life because yeah. I still get harassed in my town when I, you know, go to town, people look at me and don't talk to me. Even when I go to my bank, people are rude. And so I need that outlet where there's kind people in the world just because I live on an isolated little mountain in a little town where people like to gossip. 
you know, there's a whole world out there and that's the whole, I want to see the whole world. That's a, that's, it's a good thing. I mean, I know, uh, I do a lot of, a lot of work with local independent film and the film community. I mean, you have, you have your people here and there that aren't, but for the most part, it's a very supportive kind of a small family kind of feeling with most of them. I mean, I, I work with a lot of great people in film and it's, it's definitely something that, that, uh, it's definitely a good supportive community to be a part of. Yes, exactly. And I, it, it feels so good that there is such kindness in the world. After, you know, I've lost everything. I lost the love of my life. Uh, my children moved out at all at the same time. I'm alone for the first time in my life. I meet someone that I think is that one guy. I don't want to date 10 guys. He knew that. I told him I want to date one guy. I don't want to date 10. Oh, he assured me he was that guy. And now I don't even want to date but it's nice to know there is truly kind-hearted people out there that want good for you. They're not there to tear you down. Yeah. And that is amazing to me. Yeah. The deal working with the, the film community locally and the, and the local comedy community there, I have met so many wonderful people. And I mean, it, like I said, you, you, you'll run into a stinker every now and then, but <laughs> that that's <Yeah>. in anything. <laughs> Well, I've been pretty lucky so far. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the trauma that I um, went through when I found him, I found him 17 days later. He'd been eaten by a bear. Um, I was on a mountain when I found him. I had to crawl out of there and meet the sheriff's office at the gate, and I had to walk back in there and show him where he was. You know, and just those um, vivid memories, because I don't even remember everything I saw, but right. – um, it was horrifying and that, that's my beautiful property, you know, and I'm not going to let him take that away from me. That's my home. Right. Yeah, that would, that, that would be rough. Cause I mean, that, that, is that a part of the property you kind of steer clear of now or are you still, or? I did, this property has been in the family for 80, 90 years. Oh, wow. And when my husband died, he just signed it over to me. So, for a while, I couldn't walk up there. I just didn't want to because it was so hard. The the smell, I'll never forget that. And I'm an EMT, so I've seen a lot. Right. But then I thought, when I changed my story, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to own it, I'm going to own it. I'm going to walk up there. I'm going to sit and I'm going to write. I'm going to make peace with it. I'm going to tell him it's okay. Um, and, you know, I talked to him and I'm peaceful and I planted beautiful flowers there. And I planted sunflowers and lilies and lilac trees. And I, we made this um, angel out of horseshoes because I love horses and I have horses. And he brought railroad spikes from the railroad and we sanded them and weld, welded them together and we made this angel. And so I've taken that and I've hung it up on a tree there. And it's a peaceful place. It's, it's a place that I enjoy going out, watering the flowers. And um, I've made peace with it. And reclaimed it. And I reclaimed it. It's mine. And he told me that was the first home. That was the first place he ever felt at home at. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't even wonder what's true or what's, what's not true anymore. But mm. it's my home and I feel peaceful there. So hopefully he's, a, he's at rest and I'm at rest now. So it's time to heal and move forward. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, I think I'm going to take a break. I'm going to refill my coffee cup. And when I come back, if you're, if you want to, we can talk about some strange news stories and uh, have a laugh or two. That'd be great. I need a laugh. All right. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. I will be right back. Uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Life Radio Show. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
anodyne. Hey, this is Don Smith from the Life Radio Show. Do you like telling jokes? Are you the class clown? Do your friends always tell you you're funny? You want to prove them wrong? Well, nearly every Sunday, Wiley's Comedy Club at 101 Pine Street in Dayton's Oregon District brings you Wiley's Sunday Comics. You can be the one on stage making people laugh. Or not. All you have to do is send an email to WileySundayComics at gmail.com and follow the instructions in the reply email and you can tell jokes at Ohio's oldest comedy club. All right, we'll go ahead and get started then. Welcome back okay. to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are we are uh, zooming. We are zooming with uh, with Lisa Bagby, uh, author of uh, "I Am That Girl." And Hello, been, everyone. Yeah, we've been talking about her experiences, and uh, we are going to start talking about some news stories. Because uh, I'm on my last cup of coffee, which is fortunate because I just ran out of coffee creamer. So <laughs> it could it could have been tragedy right there. So <laughs> that could have been the end of the show. Yes, that, that yeah, I, I couldn't have gone on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see let's see what kind of news stories we can get here. Uh, we'll we'll try to find something fun. Ooh, spy pigeons. We <laughs> you never know what's going to happen with a spy pigeon. Oh uh, boy. Pigeon. Yeah, a pigeon suspected of being trained as a Pakistani spy has been detained near a disputed border in India after officials discovered a coated ring attached to its foot. The pigeon painted pink uh, was, because you have to be able to pick it out, uh, painted pink was captured uh, Sunday by villagers in Minyari, located near the international border that separates India and Pakistan-controlled Kashmir. Uh, while it is unclear where the bird came from, it is reported, reportedly believed the bird flew from across the border in Pakistan. Uh, the pigeon suspected uh, to be trained in Pakistan for spying has a ring with alphabets and numbers written on it, uh, said uh, police, uh, a police source. Uh, though, the birds, though birds have no boundaries and many fly across international borders during migration because nobody told them, apparently, a coated <laughs> ring tagged to the, the captured pigeon's body is called for concern as migratory birds don't have such things. <laughs> that was all a direct quote. Your migratory birds don't typically have coated rings. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a natural occurring phenomenon, apparently. So. Hmm. I guess that's why you would suspect it's a spy. And I can see that that could really happen because there are homing pigeons. There, where, there you know, are, yeah. Yeah, where you can tie messages to their feet and they go deliver their message and then always come home. So I can see that happening and it's pretty scary, actually. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's it's painted pink. I would think you would want a, a homing pigeon to, to blend in a little better if it's going to be a spy. At least, like, paint it camouflage or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right because yeah you need a camo spy pigeon <laughs> i mean Those pink, pink is kind of obvious pigeon. color <laughs> yeah that's uh, yeah I, when i when i first looked at the story i did not realize that they actually painted the pigeon pink so that's a that's a whole different thing <laughs> yeah you think the band on its foot would be enough to um recognize it identify yeah. it yeah but i guess they have different colors for different levels different spy levels <laughs> so you just sit out there with your rifle like you know when you 
what's it called when you throw those things in the air and shoot them? Oh, the, the clay pigeons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just wait for a pink one to fly by. Yep. Oh, yep. no, there's that was blue. That's a good one. <laughs> there's the spy pigeon. <laughs> don't, don't get the blue ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get the blue ones are. I don't know that they, those might be higher up on the on the uh, <laughs> on the spy tier. They might be a higher level of clearance that you need to send a blue spy pigeon. Over Someone needs to make a, a pigeon color book. You know, like a tide book. Like you buy a tide book when you go fishing, and it tells you when the tides are. Right, right. You Someone need, should make a I, pigeon identifier book. Yeah, color coded pigeon books. Yes. <laughs> I think I like color coded it. spy pigeon might be an episode title. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> That's how I come up with episode titles for the shows. Just random dumb things we say during the news stories. <laughs> that way. <laughs> All right. So, so far we just have uh, color coded spy pigeon. Uh, let's see. Uh, master builders of the sea construct that the, Okay, let me let me restart that one because something went wrong. Uh, master <laughs> builders of the sea construct the equivalent of a complex five-story house that protects them from predators and funnels and filters food for them, all from uh, snot coming out of their heads. Wow, that's that's different. Uh, <laughs> and when these delicate mucus homes uh, get clogged, the tadpole-like critters called giant larvations. Larvacea? I, I don't know, something like that. They build a new one, usually every day or so. So these called snot palaces, uh, this is a just a beautiful story. Yeah. These so-called snot palaces uh, could possibly help humans construct construction if scientists manage to crack the mucus, <laughs> the mucus architectural code. <laughs> wow. Uh, says uh, Kakani Katija, a bioengineer at Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute. Her team took a step towards solving the mystery of the snot houses uh, and maybe someday even replicating them because who doesn't want to live? <laughs> who doesn't want to live in a snot house? Well, I prefer not to. <laughs> right. That's just, it sounds a little messy. That's, so you said larva, right? Like what kind? Uh, but they're called giant larvations. L-A-R-V-A-C-E-A-N-S. So I don't know if that actually is. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what that is. Well, I hope Oregon doesn't have any of those. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Well, it's a, how far are you away from Monterey Bay? That's a <laughs> ways from you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could drop a couple of those off with a pigeon uh, over yeah. Pakistan. <laughs> You know, listen, together with the, I just have to read this part because of the guy's name. Uh, you'll find out why. Together with their houses, quote, they are like an alien life form made almost entirely out of water, yet crafted with complexity and purpose, uh, said Dalhousie University marine biologist Boris Worm. <laughs> who wasn't part of the study. Uh, he said they remind me of a cross between a, a living veil and a high-tech fiber filter pump. High-tech filter pump. That's the direct quote from Boris Worm. <laughs> well, I, I imagine Mr. Worm will probably be the first one living in one of these homes. Yeah, I could see I could see Dr. Worm living in a snot house. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> oh my. Yep, Dr. Worm, creator of the snot house. That's 
I can understand the pigeon, but I just don't understand the snot house. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we're learning together. At least yes. we're learning together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what else do I have here? Uh, let's see. This, this sounds different. A car and an illicit barbecue. An illicit barbecue. I'm not sure what that is. A British police department said the smell of cooking breakfast tipped them off to a barbecue and an entire car hidden under camouflage material. Uh, Purbeck <laughs> police said if officers in the uh, Studland Dorset area detected the smell of breakfast being cooked Tuesday morning and followed the smell <laughs> to an innovative attempt to hide the illicit activity. Cooking breakfast is an illicit activity. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. A busy morning uh, down in Stutland. We found an innovative vehicle disguise on a ferry road today. It, was, it wasn't the camouflage that made us stop, but the stove cooking breakfast that we could smell while <laughs> driving by, police said in an Instagram post. Uh, barbecues and other fires are currently banned in the protected area. That's why. That's, they have that makes, banned. <laughs> I've actually been that person. <laughs> That, that, that cooked breakfast during a, a, a fire ban? Yes, but not in under a camouflage car. You know, like you'll put your little camp stove in the tent because it's a fire ban, and I get that, but how can you have coffee if you go camping or, you know, a can of chili? You have to heat it up. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, so you just put your little camp stove in the tent and cook your food and and I've often thought, you know, if someone was really watching people, because if you go to these small towns in Oregon, and even if you, during fire season, if you go to buy a package of hot dogs, they're like, you realize you can't have a, ca a campfire, right? And they're like, really, you know, and I understand that. I don't want to burn down the whole countryside, right. but, <laughs> so I understand the illicit burning cooking. Yeah. <laughs> so so you have too. experience just without the, because it actually has a picture of a real nice car uh, that's, half covered up underneath this uh it, it kind of looks like a ghillie suit for a car it's just says <laughs> this camouflage tarp that's over top of everything which i would think that would create more of a fire hazard if you're cooking breakfast underneath it yes or even uh, get more suspicion <laughs> right <laughs> right because it's just parked on the side of the road where you don't normally see half a car covered in a camo tarp Exactly, and if they wouldn't have the car covered up, they the police probably would have just drove by. But they're like, "What is going on?" Then they smell right. the food cooking, right? Right, because the funny the funny thing is the background it's all green vegetation, and the tarp is is brown dead leaves. <laughs> so it's it's it sticks out like a like a sore thumb, I guess. With the with the smell of uh, of breakfast cooking, it was a just a total giveaway. Well, at least they were just cooking food and not cooking something else. Right, right. <laughs> could have been could have been a lot worse things you can cook underneath exactly. the car by the side of the road. <laughs> exactly, but that's great. Okay, I understand the pigeons and I understand the illicit cooking, but still the snot house. I just don't get that. Yeah, <laughs> well, at least we got you somewhat on board with some of it. You know. Okay, good. <laughs> we, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better about my um, college degree already. <laughs> Yep, you don't have to study the the snot house with Doctor Worm. Yeah, I'm just gonna pass that one right up. 
an Australian hotel said the burglar that repeatedly triggered security alarms at the business's liquor store was finally identified by security cameras as a rare and endangered animal, a northern quoll. Uh, Stuart Gibson, director of the Bungalow Hotel in Cairns, Queensland, said he received late-night calls from the business's security company on multiple occasions to let him know the alarms had been triggered at the hotel's liquor store. Every night at 2, 3, 4 in the morning, we'd be getting calls <laughs> from our alarm company, so I'd drag myself out of bed, go to the bottle shop, and no one was there. Uh, Gibson <laughs> said the, at first he thought the store's alarm system was faulty until a recent night the security cameras managed to capture footage of the intruder, a northern quoll. It's an endangered tree-climbing marsupial rarely spotted in urban areas. Uh, clearly, clearly he likes to have a drink at the hotel, says Gibson. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> if I was a rare northern quoll that never went out in public, I'd probably want to drink every now and then, too. See, I've been there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just don't break into hotel liquor stores and get a hotel with a liquor store. That's nice. I like that. Yeah, I've, ne awesome. I've never been at a hotel that had its own liquor store. I think that's a brilliant, innovative idea. I do too. And there's, I mean, what was the break in really? Let's look at this guy. You know, we cannot put a guilty verdict on him until we know all the facts did he crawl through a hole did he crawl through a vent right exactly did he pry the front door open no he probably there's probably a little hole somewhere or he's just hides inside of it yeah marsupial he's may possibly nocturnal i mean that seems to be when he's uh out and about at night he mm -hmm. calls at night so yeah nocturnal marsupial uh alcoholic who hasn't been there Exactly. <laughs> I've uh, other well, I I'm not a marsupial yet, but everything else, check. <laughs> Don't throw stones at people that live in snot houses. <laughs> I think you just named the episode. People in snot houses shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> you never know. Let me write that down real quick. People in yeah. snot houses. Uh, <laughs> so, okay yeah, I, I think that um he should just the marsupial should just become um part owner in the business he deserves it oh yeah oh yeah or at least a mascot something he, sh he should yeah. get a job at the hotel exactly and they, he didn't make a mess or anything right he probably shows up more regularly than some of their employees now exactly all right well so, yeah i'm on his side <clears throat> yep, we we support the Northern Quoll. <laughs> yes, we should make a PayPal account to um, bail him out if he ever gets there arrested. Yeah. And it's possible when you're up that late drunk, it's a good possibility at some point you're going to be arrested. Yes, uh, <laughs> we'll get we'll do one more news story. <clears throat> a Romanian shoemaker is promoting promoting social distancing with his latest innovation, a pair of size 75 shoes that are each about two and a half feet long. <laughs> uh, uh, Grigor Lup, which is a fabulous name. <laughs> Grigor Lup, a cobbler <laughs> from the city of Cluj, uh, said he is was inspired to create the long-nosed leather shoes. <laughs> 
when he saw people failing to follow social distancing guidelines amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Lupp's shoes, which are available online for roughly $115 a pair, are each about two and a half feet long and are listed as a European size 75. The shoemaker said the shoes are designed uh, to so two people facing each other would be forced to keep a dis- distance of about five feet. <laughs> oh, man. So basically, you have to wear these goofy-looking things and get other people to wear these goofy-looking things. <laughs> and there, there, is, there is a video that goes with this. This is on uh, UPI is the news source that this comes from, UPI.com. Odd news, you can check out the size 75 shoes from Grigor Lupp. And they are, uh, they look like giant tongue depressors, honestly, with laces. That's what they, that's kind of what they remind me of. So if you need a pair of two and a half foot long goofy ass shoes, (laughs) hit up Gregor Lupp uh, from the city of Kluge. Oh my gosh. And you know what they say about a man's shoe size, right? Right. Right. Well, it, if that's if that's the case, he's going to have a, a much more difficult time social distancing because he's going to be very popular. <laughs> oh my gosh! They'll probably shut you down after having me on. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we we have had far filthier discussions than this. <laughs> we. Have, we, we had an episode almost entirely dedicated to bull semen. I think we're okay right now. So <laughs> That makes more sense than the two-foot shoes. <laughs> right, right. Or the snot house. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Dr. Worm in the snot house. I think we're... <laughs> I think the, I think those were good choices of news stories. So we're going to go ahead. I'm going to give you a couple minutes. If you have any social media that you want to put out there, uh, anywhere people can follow you, not in a creepy way. <laughs> <laughs> Please, no. No, no. You, you <laughs> yeah. I'm actually just having my website built. It's supposed to be done in a week or two. So I can okay. get back to you with that information. All right. Yeah, yeah. Send me that when you get it, because uh, this uh, I'm trying to think of when this episode will air. Uh, this episode will probably be out Sunday, but if the if if waiting a couple door a couple more days, you can get me a website to tag in it. I'll put it out a few okay. days afterward. Okay, I can get it to you before then. Yeah, that that way everything can every all your website and everything can be tagged. That way people know where to get a hold of you, and when your book comes out, they'll know where to find it. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, Lisa. It's, it's been great talking to you. Uh, thank you for sharing your story, uh, both with me and through the book. Uh, I, I look forward to it coming out. We'll have you back on to promote it if you'd like. I would love that. It's been a great show. All right. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. Uh, like I always say, if you keep tuning in, I guess I'll keep doing them. All right. Have a great <laughs> night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com.
digital presence. Over, over. You wouldn't have been the first person crying on my show.